welcome back to the Gen X Voice Podcast. I'm your host, Trish the Dish, and today's episode is with my first guest of season two, uh, my very good virtual friend, Hermes, from the Scuttlebutt Podcast, um, which is one of my favorite podcasts um, in which these um, these gentlemen from the military sit around and they speak their truth about anything and everything that you absolutely probably shouldn't talk about while being in the military. Um, they do it completely um, anonymous. And so I've actually never seen this guest's uh, face before, but man, the connection I have with uh, this guest is just, man, you know, there's just certain people you meet in your life and you're like, your family. You know what I mean? And um, one thing that I really value from the pandemic last year, I guess we're still in it too, to be quite honest, is just the the truly warm and amazing humans that I met virtually, but still, um, I find that you know, there's always a silver lining. And as you all know, I'm, I'm not married. I don't have kids. I'm not in a relationship. And so it could have been really lonely. And I do have a propensity toward depression and it could have, could have had some really dark times, but, um, the podcast and networking and just meeting the people I have the past year, including, uh, this episode's guest, um, just, really kept me afloat. Um, and I'm so grateful. I'm, I'm forever grateful. And, uh, what's really neat is that it's not just like, Oh, Hey, you're a podcaster. I'm a podcaster. It's like when I was on their podcast, um, on Hermes podcast and the, and the guys that he does it with, you know, we just had such a great time and such great conversation. So I was super excited to have Hermes come on over here and, and talk about some of the stuff that we like to talk about over here, which isn't very dissimilar to what he does on his podcast. Um, we really went everywhere. It's a little bit longer episode. Um, so, you know, definitely join us for a beverage, an alcoholic beverage, if that's your jam. Um, cause we do like to drink when we get together and, um, philosophize, but man, we go from everything from podcasting, um, the anonymity and his choice of being anonymous and how that affects his podcasting and his art. Cause he is a really great artist as, um, as you can see by our, um, by our guests, uh, choice of what he, um, what he used for his, um, profile picture for, uh, for the podcast, I always ask my guests to, to send in a picture and that he drew, he, he had a drawing that he sent and we talk about the sort of symbolism of that artwork that he sent in, um, as well as some of the um, correlations between or similarities between 9-11 and Vietnam um, and uh, and the current issue uh, in Afghanistan up to, I say current, but the time of this recording um, we had not yet experienced the um, suicide bomber that happened in Afghanistan. And I just want to take this moment to say that, um, you know, anyone that's in the military 
and and everyone that's ever served um, overseas that has been involved with this particular you know twenty year war that we've been in, um, my heart goes out to you, and um, we really Hermes and I kind of talk about some of the you know just how could the military be used outside of war, and how could we how could we better serve our um, our veterans. So it's a lot, which is why it's a little bit longer episode. Um, but I really hope you enjoy it and, um, make sure that you, um, check out the scuttlebutt podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts and, um, and follow them on Instagram at, uh, scuttbutt podcast, um, so that you can, um, I don't know, just, some really neat stuff that you can learn from, from these, from these gentlemen. It's, it's really good stuff. So, um, yeah, just, uh, hope you enjoy it. Oh, and I want to shout out to Hermes, um, Instagram as well. Cause I didn't give him a chance to, to, to promote his uh, stuff, but it's Hermes. It's at Hermes underscore Auslander, which is spelled A U S L A N D E R. So, um, make sure you check that out. And, uh, and, and again, it's the scut butt podcast. I think I said it incorrectly a second ago, um, on Instagram, great art, great podcast. Enjoy the show. Hi, Hermes. How's it going, Trish? How are you? Oh, it's going great. I am so stoked to have you, uh, as my first guest for season two on the Gen X voice podcast. Why don't you tell the listeners, um, what year you were born and uh, what generation you identify with? Uh, so I was born in 93. So I technically am not a Gen Xer, correct? That's correct. Yeah. You would be right smack in the millennial. Well, mm-hmm. actually, even maybe kind of one of the uh, the younger millennials. Yeah, I, I don't, I never, so to answer the second question is I, I never really identified with one. I didn't feel like I felt or that I fit into the millennial generation gap. And um, I guess I felt more at home having older siblings with the Gen X uh, crowd because that was who my family was, my siblings were. So that was kind of the crowd that I was hanging with. But again, I, I don't know. I never really fit into either one, I guess. So. Okay. Okay. That's, that's always lovely to have uh, gap generation people on because there's actually a whole group of people that were born around the time that I was in the um, late 70s. So I'm, I'm 75, but I I'm closer to 76 because I'm two weeks shy of that. And I have a lot more in common with the Zennial group of people. Mm. But at the same time, having been, you know, uh, a little bit um, online, quote unquote, as my, you know, childhood was starting to come in, you know, watching TV. I remember a lot of the stuff that um, like Romper Room and all these kind of shows that were on in the late 70s. Um, because, you know, you still kind of capture some memories, uh, in, in, you know, when you're like, uh, four years old, but, um, so cool. We'll probably find out that there's a, um, a micro generation, um, of, of folks born in the nineties, but for all my Gen X friends out there that, uh, feel old when I bring youngsters on, (laughs) yes, many of you graduated high school in 93. Personally, I was, I graduated in 94. So (laughs) there we go. I've, I've always been awesome. an old soul. I've been so I've I don't know if I count as the youngster part. But everybody calls me a boomer in my age groups for some reason. Uh, whether it's older or younger, they all refer to me as like a boomer. In that 
I, I just say, I guess, boomer things or I have a boomer mentality in that I, um, I like what I like. I kind of stick to what I know and that type of deal. And, you know, it's always like the newest app, I, especially with social media. It was always, I was always a leg behind or I just miss something completely. Like I missed Vine, had no idea Vine was a thing. <laughs> Not, right. And then everybody were like referencing Vines. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. None. <laughs> so. Yeah, that, that definitely make, doesn't make you a Gen Xer then because Gen Xers, um, as everyone may or may not know, um, were kind of the ones who started a lot of the apps that are super popular, like YouTube and blogging and, um, and a lot of, you know, um, MySpace and, um, uh, Twitter, they were all started by Xers. So, um, yeah, that definitely sounds like you're not, um, of the generation <laughs> X mentality. Cause we're always like, what's that? What's that? Oh, I'm we're right at home in technology. Mm. But then again, that might be the younger uh, Gen Xers like myself, because we just always had um, electronics in the house and video games. But you know what, Hermes, before we go too deep into that, I want to do um, a nod to your podcast, the Scuttlebutt podcast, in which each guest that you have on and um, and by the way, guys, I was a guest on the Scuttlebutt podcast during my summer pod tour. I'll link it in the uh, show notes so you guys can have a listen, as well as a link to the Scuttlebutt podcast in general, because it is one of my favorite podcasts. And I'll tell you all why in a minute. But let's go around the table and talk and and, and let the guests tell us what they're drinking. Mm, A nice little uh, ode or a nice little nod, right? (laughs) Uh, Cheers to you, brother. Cheers to you, Trish. So um, you want me to go first? Yeah, you're my guest. Uh, I have a Rogue Colossal Claude. Uh, Rogue's one of like the sponsors of our show, Scuttlebutt Podcast. Uh, they send us beer and spirits uh, often. And as much as we drink, we'll take whatever we can get. So they, <laughs> they send us some uh, some really good ones. If you guys like ales, a lot, they do ales, lager, stouts. Uh, it's, they're an Oregon-based uh, company or brewery. So I, I really like them. And that's yeah, what I'm drinking Rogue on is, tonight. Rogue is one of my favorites. Having lived in Oregon, um, definitely a fan of Rogue IPAs for sure. Well, cheers on that. That sounds delightful. And I'm sure everyone knows by now that I am um, a huge supporter of Tito's Vodka. And one of these days, I'm going to have to sit down with you and figure out how in the world you got Rogue to sponsor because <laughs> I would love to have Tito sponsor. <laughs> you know, I love my handles <laughs> of exactly. Tito's. Uh, they're vegan friendly. And I always like to pour them with a sparkling beverage. And I went to Trader Joe's this morning before um, we recorded and picked up their um, black or sorry, blueberry lemonade uh, seltzer. So I've got that in here. Um, some nice Delish. ice. Mm. So cheers to you, Hermes. Cheers to you, Trish. Happy to be oh. on. This is going to be a blast. I can already tell. Oh, man, I I'm so excited uh, to have you on. So um, I'm going to tell the listeners a little bit about how we met. Um, as, uh, you know, as is always a nice thing to, to, to talk about these random people. Cause I do have friends that are like, how do you know all these different kinds of people? Um, I think variety is the spice of life and it's really fun to, um, to be really open-minded to people that you meet. And, um, the way I met Hermes was he was one of the first, if not only person <laughs> to comment yeah. when I did my first live stream, 
um, with what is now called the Podcasters Collective. Um, and it was really great because, um, as you've talked about, because you had Tom, one of the um, founders of the Podcasters Collective on, um, and you had talked about how that was kind of your first um, jump jaunt into uh of, uh, live streaming. And, you know, it's, it's people like you that made me really like it too, where people are commenting in real time and asking questions and really kind of giving a layer to just what is just a usual interview style. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really appreciate um, just the support and the humor. Um, and especially the second time when um, my friend Vicky and I were on and um we got kind of sexually harassed uh, because of our topic of sex and the generations. And yeah. Um, yeah. And I just want to say like, I know you're like a, like more like a little brother, but that was such a big brother move to be so awesome and, and be um, a total rad feminist in that manner. So I really thank you, Hermes. Oh, there's no thanks necessary. Really, Trish. I, I agree totally. I, I love the live streaming like uh, vibes that you get from it. I was hooked immediately and it was because of, yeah, it was because, you know, of the interaction we were having online of, of you responding in real time. And like, I was like, Oh wait, she just read my comments. She just responded to me. Like that's, (laughs) that's awesome. That is so cool. You know, and, and the humor and, you know, getting to, like you said, add that little layer to a conversation that I wasn't a part of, but now because of technology, I was, it was, it was just like, Oh, I get this. I, I understand live streaming now. And, uh, yeah. So the, when, when you see like trolls and you see like these, uh, I, I don't remember what I referred to, like basically boys, when you see, you know, mm-hmm. these, um, these immature immaturities happening in the comments, I was like, yeah, it's sort of how it goes. I, you know, I don't know what else to tell you other than, you know, we got your back, Trish. Don't even worry about it. Yeah. And what's neat about live streaming is that like, unlike a tweet or some random message that someone dumps in like a, a, you know, Facebook group or like a, you know, Instagram post, you're able to like block them immediately or, (laughs) you know, uh, put them down immediately and then block them so they never can respond. And so that's super rad. But what I really love is not only did you guys have fun with that, you completely embraced it with your podcast. And, um, I want to talk a little bit about, um, your podcast and how, um, how it, man, I'm doing this solo. Right. And so it's like, Mm -hmm. I took two months off this summer because I do all the editing, marketing, you know, um, booking all the things, but you have a trio. You've got, um, Morpheus and Theron who are your homies, um, doing the the co-piloting with you. Um, why don't you tell us how you got your podcast started and um, and and what it's like to to work with three friends and the cool thing that you have Patreon members are allowed to access your um, live streams and video. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I like you was soloing for a while. Uh, I I started it. Uh, in, so I started it in 2019, like November timeframe. I was just like messing around. I got some gear and just wanted to see what it was about experiment. And then uh, we published our very first, uh, episode in March, 2020. 
Uh, and obviously that was COVID time and everything was happening and that was, it was all a hundred percent. I understand, I understand the struggle you're talking about of, I got a book. Yes. I had to convince people like, no, it's, I'm not, it's, isn't a weird thing. Like just come over to my place and like, we'll sit down. I promise it's not a weird, weird thing I'm doing here. So just trust me, I'll, I'll make pizza or something. Like we'll make it a thing. And, and yeah, that was, that was what it was for a good minute. And then I sort of were able, was able to rope Theron into it who, you know, is an old, old friend. And he was, he, I think he was actually one of the very first ones to listen and give me feedback was like, Hey, you know, like I'm liking the contents. Like, these are the tips I have for you. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And so immediately it was just like kind of natural. It just, he's, I've worked with him in the past for a lot of different things. And so getting, uh, getting the feedback from him, it was just a natural progression of like, Hey man, you want to help? Like I'm doing a lot of stuff right now. Do you want to help take some of this? And so he ended up taking over now, not only as co-host, but, uh, over all of the social media and the marketing and all of that stuff. He also helps book like all three of us book. So it definitely helped alleviate some of that, uh, weight certainly. And then knowing that I can trust him, he's an old friend, that type of deal. It just, again, it came naturally. Morpheus is actually one of my, best friends that I met while I was overseas. And um, it's a long, colorful, colorful history that we have together that anybody can go ahead and listen to our show and kind of understand where all of that comes from. Um, as far as like the Patreon and stuff goes, that was also sort of a natural progression as well as Theron and I, um, Theron being more of like a business mindset oriented and me being more of like the technical and the like artistic side of things. When we put our two brain cells together, we kind of came up with this, you know, conclusion that, well, it would be really nice if we could do this full time. It would be really nice if we could do it in a more organic way and, you know, c- connect with the audience in live streams and in, you know, a more personal manner. So Patreon was was that uh, avenue. So yeah, that's how anybody who wants to help support and join, we have a million ways to do that. Patreon is just sort of like the most connected way to do it. You get everything first and, you know, there's like polls that we put up there for like content or topics that we're brainstorming on, Um, you know, merchandise discounts or like merchandise designs that we're playing with. It's like, do you like it in this color? Do you like it in that color? Do you like this design? Do you like that design? And so it's sort of like a backstage kind of a pass to all of us and just a more personal thing. And I thought that was really cool because I don't know about you, Trish, but I'm the most frugal with my I will not just spend money. So I love everybody. <laughs> I wish I had a billion dollars to spend on everybody's podcast, Patreon tiers. But um, I, I need uh, I need really something to sell it to me. So the ones that, you know, any anything I sign up for. It's got to be really like I don't I signed up for HBO Max for the free trial just to watch the Snyder's cut. And as soon as the free trial was done, I was done. <laughs> I haven't gone back. So, yeah, it's got to really be worth it. And so that's what we try to aim for for the audience is like, let's make it worth it for them. You know, let's figure out, you know, what sponsorships we can get and hopefully discounts we can get for the sponsorships. What affiliate links can we tag of things that we use, you know, microphone stuff. Uh, what's something we can provide to the audience and engage with the audience at a more personal level and make friends, you know, cause everybody who be- has become patrons has become friends as well, you know? So we've either recorded with them or we just had long conversations with them or we shared a beer with beer with them. So it, it becomes a really personal tight knit thing. And I, that's what I really am after and enjoy. So 
Oh, I love it. I love it. And it's really fun to hear you razz some of your um, Patreon users too in some of your episodes <laughs> or or just even give them a nod and stuff like that. So it, it really is like an intimate group. And um, one thing that is really fascinating about um, your podcast. So for those non-military people, um, why don't you explain what scuttlebutt actually means in the Navy world? Sure, sure. Uh, the term the scuttlebutt uh, refers to specifically materially a drinking fountain. Way back in the day, uh, it was it was the place where, you know, basically like a big barrel of water and that's where you'd go to get your rations of, of hydration. And secondary to that, it was also what you would consider like the watering hole. I mean, you see it in like uh, corporate offices where they go to the to the uh, like water fountain and everybody's grabbing a drink and what are you doing? You're talking, you're BSing, you're bullshitting. And uh, am I allowed to swear, Trish? Fuck yeah, you are. Oh, wait, what do you say? Um, that What do you say on your podcast? Like, uh, don't, don't fucking, fucking cuss, the shit ain't cuss. <laughs> <laughs> that shit ain't cool. Actually, I, I actually had guests on that, that asked me to please allow them to curse because it was so natural. And they were like, I won't be able to be myself if you don't let me curse. And I was like, okay, explicit. You got it. Yeah. Uh, so, so fuck yeah, you can curse. As a sailor. Thank you. Because I don't think I could be myself without a, a couple sla uh, sailor slang thrown in there. And the more we but, get uh, lubricated to use another term that you use on your podcast, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you're, you're going to let your words fly and, and let them fly as naturally as you want them to. Beautiful. Yeah. My kind of conversation. That's what the scuttlebutt is too. It's, it's, a uh, it's the bullshitting around the watering hole that over, you know, the last centuries plus, uh, sailors have developed this, um, you know, this, uh, like guest tradition and it's become this like synonymous with gossip basically is like, what's the latest, you know, tea that you got to spill and you'd spill it at the scuttlebutt. And now as, you know, time goes on and the Navy evolves and scuttlebutts are less of a thing, like not everybody's sitting around the water fountain bullshitting. It just became a term of, you know, what's the latest scuttlebutt? What's the latest gossip? What's the latest tea? And so our show being two thirds military, active duty military, a lot of the scuttlebutt that we talk about are things that you're not technically supposed to talk about while you're in uniform or associated with the military. You know, uh, I don't remember if you I don't know if you remember the – there was a one um, – I want to say like a veteran, like a, pa a previous – I want to say army who was going to a protest and he was wearing like his uh, old camis, like his top or something and, and his medals. And because of that, he was like associated with – he was basically representing the army and that's obviously very frowned upon. Like that's one thing against UCMJ that you can't do. You can't show up anywhere in uniform to like protest. You have the freedom to protest – they quote and I say that in quotes, but by but uh, it is black and white. You can't protest in uniform. You can't be associated with the Navy, or, you know, or the military in general. And uh, I believe he got in like some heat or like lost his VA benefits or something because of that. So a lot of the topics we talk about, we have to do anonymously and we have to do it in a discreet fashion because we think they're important things to talk about, but. Again, it is technically not acceptable to talk about them. So that's why it's the scuttlebutt. Right. Well, and, and also, too, the military, by its very nature, is supposed to, at least in the United States, for our international listeners, is supposed to be nonpartisan. There's not supposed to be a mm -hmm. one side or the other. The military supports the president no matter what party he represents, um, because at the end of the day, the military is about 
the U.S. citizens and and protecting the Constitution in in I guess in in a, in a cheesy um, no, layman's absolutely. term kind of way to to put it. I mean, I, I know it's deeper than that. I'm sure military people that may be listening are like, oh God, it's so much more <laughs> than that. That's like so whitewashing it, but. Um, but that is basically what it is. And, and, you know, what I appreciate is, you know, because of, um, networking and, and meeting you and, and, um, and your crew, um, you know, it allows me to be exposed to conversations and ideas that, um, in my little world, I may not be exposed to. So things like cryptocurrency and, you know, um, all kinds of, of subject matter, you know, authors that you've had on, like the author that wrote the book about like what would happen if Trump was elected. Um, you mm-hmm. just, you have these really great guests on. How do you guys go about picking that those kind of topics and, and guests? And is it, or is it more about like just what you guys want to talk about? Or do you do a little research about what maybe, um, you know, what what kind of tea is being spilt around social media and things like that? Uh, all all of the above, I would say. Uh, I would it, it, when it comes to like picking guests, um, we have pretty much no restrictions. Like our intro says, there are no rules here on the scuttlebutt, and that's a hundred percent true. And it's because any any part of the inspiration or the discussion or the conversations that we have. Uh, in the military and amongst our peers and amongst civilians that we've met, those are the ones that I can remember and hold on to and you know hold dear to myself and my heart. It's like the honest conversation. So it's anything and everything is what we kind of like encompass. And because realistically, um, we had um, we had um, Jeffrey Chuck Norris from Chuck Goes to the Movies on, and he was prior Navy, and he was explaining how he got so good at the six degrees of Kevin Bacon because. Sometimes in the military, you have like shit duties that take forever. And the only way you're going to get through it is if you're going to entertain yourself in like a different month. And so we have various things that we do in the military to get through some of those tasks. And and again, in those tasks, a big one that we have, like when you're having 24-hour duty, big one you have is like you're stuck with these other people, these three people for this next 24 hours. You can't help but talk to people. You can't help but get to know people. You can't help but be honest and explore and, you know, laugh, hopefully. And that's the essence, I guess, of what the, where the conversations and stuff go. So sometimes we do research, like I'm passionate about cryptocurrency. I'm passionate about psychedelic research and PTSD. I'm passionate about artwork. And then you have Theron, you know, which is why I think having co-hosts is so awesome in respects to these conversations because like Theron is into a completely different array of topics. He's into, you know, videography. He's into, you know, photography. Um, and then Morpheus is, you know, into fucking Warhammer minis and painting, you know, um, those little those miniatures and like going into the lore of like a nerdy game and stuff and having all of us together. You, we have like commonalities of like, yeah, we all drink or we all smoke something, whether cigars or in Theron's case, cannabis or, you know, whatever. Like we find commonalities, but we all come from very different mindsets. So it's just a blend, you know, kind of like the military is. It's just a big mm-hmm. melting pot of ideas and personalities and people. And and that's that's where it all comes from. So getting guests on, <laughs> to put it simply, it's like anybody who wants to come on, <laughs> we pretty much <laughs> like there, there have been few exceptions to that rule. But, you know, I think it goes without saying that there's just certain people, like if you're a shitty person, I'm kind of, I'm not a, 
I'm not going to give you a platform, but I'm always willing to talk to anybody. So yeah, even when we've had guests that we disagree with, which we've had, um, it's still a good conversation as we try to highlight is possible to do. Like you can disagree with someone and still have a conversation with them. And I really hope more people do that, you know? Yeah. And one thing I really like is that you like to take, take the devil's advocate perspective. And even if you, um, agree with what the person's saying you don't like it to be like an echo chamber of just like i we only have people on that believe a certain way and we all sit around and masturbate to that um (laughs) you know like uh you actually um you'll take a devil's advocate um perspective and ask some questions um was that is that something that you do just in in real life just for funsies or is that your way of of challenging um people to um as if as if someone was there that would disagree yeah it's uh it's both for sure i I do it (laughs) all the time in my for my personal life and to much avail of others often or you know much frustration (laughs) of others here it goes again kind of thing right (laughs) yeah exactly oh here we like my so like a sister of mine my little sister she's um you know, she's, she's growing. And so she's learning and she's got opinions about things and me being me, you know, I challenge those opinions so that hopefully, you know, similar to those that challenged me when I was growing up. And a lot of times she'll be like, you know, there's not, every, you don't have to always have something to say about everything. It's like, <laughs> you can, you can shut the fuck up on some things. Like if I say something, you don't have to take devil's advocate. You could just agree with me and same thing with like my wife. You know, it's like, there's just certain things that, yeah, if you, if you know me on a personal level, I'm sure it probably gets old, but no, I, I do, I do do it in a challenge in a, in a way to challenge because that was how looking back on, um, you know, like, a a teacher that I had in fourth grade would, would, you know, if I, if I asserted something and I was, uh, you know, like when I was like in the enrichment class and I was like, oh, well, you know, why do we got to do th- something this way? If we're, if we're already doing, you know, if we're already above the class in this respect, like why do we have to backtrack and do all this stuff? And they would give me a challenge. Well, here's a devil's advocate position. What do you think about blah, blah, blah. And it was always that like, oh, like an epiphany moment. And those to me were always some of my favorite teachers and greatest teachers. It's like they don't they don't tell me the answer. They just show me the way to get to it and show me mm-hmm. ways to also find my own answers and make these own paths so that hopefully, yeah, you can actually teach someone how to be a human and not like just how to follow a process and be, you know, a, a cog in the wheel type of deal. So that's yeah. what I try to do. Yeah, I really like that. And I also think that it's important to um, model what um, healthy and respectful objections to Mm -hmm. what other people say looks like. Um, like, I think that's a really, um, I, I think that's lacking in, a, in, in today's world, um, maybe because of social media, or maybe just because we, um, we have such a fear of having friends that are outside of our political or spiritual or just worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I really just want to say that, that I really appreciate that aspect of your podcast. And, um, I'm thinking about, uh, one guest you had on particular in particular, uh, and I can't remember if it was, um, I think it was about gun control and, mm. um, you know, you guys had a, a certain perspective and, and you guys really got into a, a really good conversation about, you know, 
do we deal with mental health first or do we deal with, um, you know, banning certain kind of um, arms things? And see, this is another reason, dear listeners, why I think everyone should listen to this podcast, uh, because that's those kind of conversations can get really heated really quickly. Um, right. I mean, everyone's yeah. <laughs> pretty passionate, either either being pro or um, against banning guns. And um, and I remember that you all said in in that particular episode that, like, see, guys, we can all disagree and still have um, a very respectful conversation. So, um, yeah. yeah, really love that. So I'm curious, um, I guess. Well, okay, I'm, I'll I'll ask that in a different time. I think <laughs> getting I spicy, think, Trish. <laughs> oh, getting spicy. <laughs> Bring on the paprika. Hell um, yeah. Yeah, but uh, I guess I guess the question is, um, do you feel more free to have these kind of conversations because you? I've never seen your face. Um, and we're recording this only audio, so you've had the ability. You, you have the ability right now to be completely free with how you move around and 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 chat right <laughs> now, which must be a huge relief for you. Oh, um, <laughs> but um, is the uh, anonymity because of the military? And if you weren't in the military, um, let's say you made it big with your podcast, which I really hope happens for you, and that you could um, make a living off of that, real solid, like. Um, would you start showing your face? What's the deal with the anonymity, dude? <laughs> uh, so, no, I would not show my face. Let's just answer that right now. So anybody <laughs> thinking there's going to be a Patreon tier and OnlyFans coming out there for our faces, it's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> but the anonymity in part is because of the military. Obviously, as we as we said, like we've discussed things that are against UCMJ. Um, it's like the last episode, my wife and I, we discuss something very honestly, very openly in the effort to bring it hopefully to the surface and educate, uh, you know, educate the audience members and hopefully reach new audience members who hope like might have uh, something or some sway in the military that might have a different perspective or say, you know what, that's actually, yeah, we, this, this does need a change. Like that's all, that's a big thing that we promote on the show is like, we need to we need to be more common sense. And if it's in the military and it's not making sense, like, why isn't it? Like, let's question it. Let's bring it to the surface. Let's bring it to light. But that does often go against UCMJ. So that is part of it. But myself personally, I've always been a, um, a res- like a reserved person. And when it comes to like my artwork specifically, I noticed at a pretty young age that I had to separate the two between what people often see of me, you know, when they meet me, they shake my hand, they know me, you know, for X, Y, and Z, like, this is my name, or this is where I live, or this is where I work, or whatever. I, I, you know, it's not a stretch. And I don't think anybody can disagree with the statement that people make assumptions about others, subconsciously or consciously, and people um, treat you differently based on those assumptions they've made. And if you and if they've made an assumption that you're this type of a person, and then you do something, you say something, or they find out something about you that contradicts that image that they had of you in their head, the only thing that I've ever seen with that, especially in respects to art, has been in a negative fashion. I don't every I disagree with it rather. Um, and that is like, you know, people have like this image of me, and then I'll produce a piece of art. Again, this is at like a younger age, and they would be like, oh, or 
are you okay? Are you depressed? Are you this? Are you that? Like, oh, are you are you homosexual because you did this? Or are you bisexual because you did that? Or it's like, oh, are you, you know, so they have all these added connotations and stuff. They're bringing their own shit into the artwork that I was like, yeah, th- I've got to separate those two. So the way that I did it was through um, an, an, an anonymous pseudonym and uh, being anonymous in regards to things that I produce. So anything that's signed Hermes is one thing. And anybody who sees that one thing only sees Hermes attached to it. So it's not like you can't do the whole, you know, oh, well, that's not something that I thought you would be into or that's not something that I ever imagined you uh, feeling or saying or whatever. It's like all of that baggage is left at the door and you just see it for what it is and you just read it for what it is and experience it hopefully for what I wanted you to see or experience with it. And, you know, I mean, the only negative I'd say that has come from it is like, if you see like the Bansky thing where it's like, has the, has the art become bigger than the artist or the artist become bigger than the art? Like the anonymity part, is that just like a selling point and all that? That's one thing I hope doesn't happen or don't, I don't want to have. And I want to emphasize, like we had, um, we had a, a, the, uh, the sisters from like writing a fish on, and we were talking about like my views on social media and being anonymous online. And like, obviously there's, there's a discussion to be had there and there's pros and cons and everything. But in my eyes, when you're anonymous and you produce something and you put it out there to the world, that's the merit that you're, that you're, you know, that you're existing on. Like that's the first interaction somebody has with you. So to me, I would want to choose my words wisely. I would want to choose the platform, the medium wisely, and I would want to do it as in the best possible manner. And obviously that's seemingly not something that's shared with a lot of people like they were immediately like theron and and the guests that we had uh red and blue dino were like yeah nobody thinks like that that's not a thing people because when they're anonymous like they think it's an excuse to be shitty and to be right. to just vent stuff out and like put evil out there and i just i completely disagree i'm on the opposite in the spectrum i'm like well if nobody knows you nobody has anything any idea who you are then there's no like excuses that can be made. It's like, no, I know him. He didn't mean it that way. He's a nice guy mm-hmm. or this, that, the other. No, it's like, this is, ex- this is all that you exist in this digital space. And so I personally would want to put the best foot forward. I want to put like, that's, that's the only thing you're judged on is that merit of your word or your artwork or whatever it is. So yeah, for me, it's a different thing for sure. Yeah. And you're, you're allowing your artwork, be it the podcast or your actual artwork, speak for itself. And boy, I'm really glad you brought up the art because um, your art is 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 really good and really fascinating. Um, and actually, um, I wanted to ask you um, to uh, kind of if 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 it's possible. I, I don't know how many artists really like this. I have some artist friends that are like, I don't know what the fuck do you think it th- means, um, and I'm like, hey, you're right. We can't sit around and ask Van Gogh what he fucking was thinking about painting himself a thousand times. No. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, what uh, you what you said for me that I'm going to be using for um, for the um, social social marketing for this um, episode is um, a military figure. I mean, if, what I'm saying is military figure because um, he's wearing camos um, mm-hmm. is is in a, in a kind of uh, Christ like manner. Um, with this pile of um, semi-automatic um, weapons in the form of a cross. Um, what made you choose that? And did 
did you did you do that specific for this podcast or was that a, um, a series that you were working on? If you don't mind sharing that or you can tell me what the fuck does that what, what do you think it means, Trish? <laughs> I'm totally OK with that answer, too. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, uh, obviously, what the fuck do you think it is? Trish? <laughs> <laughs> Should never uh, have said that. <laughs> right. <laughs> don't open the door. Don't know. Don't give it an excuse. <laughs> not with you. Not with you. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, no, I, um, it was an older piece that I had mold over. A lot of the ideas that finally make it to publication are usually like years old just because I'm kind of a perfectionist when it comes to the artwork or the writing. And so it'll take me a long time before I'm willing to like, okay, I think I can put this out there and like, it's good enough. That's always my mentality. It's like, is it good enough? And so uh, that might sound kind of shitty. It's like, oh, well, was it the best work you've ever done? Like, I never think so. I always look back on it like, oh gosh, but it's one of those things that I had mulled over for a while and specifically in regards to like um, the sacrificial nature of of my brothers and sisters in the military. It's like that's where the Christ part of it came from. It's like, yeah, we put our bodies on the line. We put our mental health on the line. We put all of these things on the line and everybody's got a different motivation for doing so. But one motivation that seems to uh, resonate with me more or, you know, that seems to be a constant chord uh, that anybody can identify is, is, is like money and power. And so the, the crucifix being like this pile of weapons is like, you know, what's the actual stage of sacrifice or what's the actual price of sacrifice that we're, that we're um, putting our bodies up there and putting our lives on the line for? It's like... You know, you can you can take that in the religious route, uh, you know, of like, well, it's because we believe it to be correct and morally just or we can bring it the opposite side of religious route. Oh, it's because of power and money and it's because of, you know, um, you know, those that dictate how people live their lives are the ones in control and we just are lambs for the slaughter. It's the, you know, the industries that make the weapons, you know, it's a, uh, it's a it's not a fully fleshed, I guess, answer. It's just, it was more of a feeling and more of some thoughts that I had that sort of made it to paper and, you know, made it to, made it to canvas. And so I, I much prefer having like, well, what do you guys think of it? You know, what do you get from it? Because at the end of the day, that is ultimately why anybody in my eyes would do, um, would do something artistic or produce a piece of art is like, is so that others can, can hopefully gain something from it. And if it's the same perspective, I guess it's cool. And that's, you know, if we're, I don't know, expressing a certain narrative and then that's cool that they got the narrative or, you know, message. But I, I just really, I actually just was, um, out, uh, this morning with, uh, Bo, another frequent friend of the show. He and I were walking around and we went into a, like an art workshop place where they sell like pottery and stuff. And they had like a whole back section that you could, you know, different rooms you could rent out if you were like a painter or a potter, potteryist or whatever. Potterist? Yeah potterist yeah <laughs> I don't know. If, you're, if you're an artist uh you, you there was studios like rooms that you could rent out and there was tons of artwork all across these hallways and all in these in these different rooms and different styles like metalwork and uh canvas you know paint um, oil on canvas and acrylic on canvas and uh, like watercolors and uh, pen and ink and there's just all of this cool stuff and we were looking through all of it and uh it was just he, he and I, I, there was one specific one and he, he said the same thing was like, well, what do you think he meant by that? I was like, 
I don't fucking know. I, I don't think it really matters. I think it's like, what do you think of it, bro? Like, do you like it? Do you think it's cool? Like I notice when I look at a painting, it was, it was a oil on canvas painting. I look at the painting and I'm looking at like the detail. I'm like, look at his, look at his choice of like lighting here and look how, look how small this one feature is for the doorknob on like a, a highlight on the doorknob that is in this specific painting. And like, look at his color choice. Like I'm colorblind, but like, so I always mismatch and do things weird with my colors, but like he obviously isn't colorblind. Cause like, this looks like a, you know, photograph, like he's like, just look at the detail and the time and you can see the brush strokes and like the, you know, the flaws and some of the paint as it hits the canvas and dries. And like, you see all these things. That's what I'm noticing. What are you noticing, Bo? You know, and he's like, right. well, look at his color scheme and look at his um, look at the female, you know, uh, model that he chose for the for the painting and look at the 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 old like the old um, Victorian style uh, building that she's next to. And like, so he was noticing something completely different, but we're both looking at the same thing. And to me, that's the beauty of it. It's like, we're both getting completely different things. We're both seeing almost completely different things yet. We both acknowledge like we're both looking at the same painting. So it's like, we're getting, we're, we're getting like the same chord of beauty and artistic like creativity, but we're just getting it on different like wavelengths. You know, we're tuning in in a different radio station to the same broadcast. And yeah, that and to me is beautiful. That's art, right? Like um, music, you know, writing art. It's all um, a part of, you know, the 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 viewer's experience. And that's what makes it so amazing. I remember when I went to Paris the first time, um, I was sitting on this bench outside the Louvre cause I didn't have money to, to go into the museum or the time. Mm. And I was like, well, I'll just sit here and eat this friggin' sandwich right here. And <laughs> like just kind of <laughs> watch Paris. And, um, and I noticed this building and it ended up being the, the building that housed, um, the, the huge lilies that, um, uh, Monet painted and it was only like 16 francs at the time. That's how old I am. It was still, it wasn't even euros <laughs> it was still yet. For, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I was like, well, fuck, I can afford that. So I walked over and, and I went and, and all, all I was really paying attention to was the brush strokes, you know, and I, I get really far back and then I go really far in. And then mm. I, of course, uh, got way too close and set off the alarm and the, <laughs> the security guy is like laughing at me, you know, and I'm like, Oh, I late. just really like it. It's <laughs> so cool. Um, but yeah, that's so, that's so a part of art and I love that answer. Um, and, and actually it kind of segues really neatly into a question I was really curious about. So you were quite young when 9-11 happened, as opposed to me, I was, um, you know, 25 living in New York City. Um, when when the attacks happened, I was stranded at my work um, on 53rd Avenue, right in the heart of um, New York City in Manhattan. And, um, you know, a lot of us will never forget that day because of experiencing it in real time. And, um, I ended up being homeless cause I didn't have, uh, my, you know, a New York ID. I still had my Arizona ID. And, um, so I was wondering if, um, if you come from a military pro family or a military family, or if nine 11 shifted your family and, and was that something as a young person that drew you into the military? Mm. Uh, so, no, it didn't shift the family. Uh, I come from a military family. My my grandfather and his brother uh, were both uh, Vietnam vets. They were drafted, um, saw significant um, combat in Vietnam. 
um, a couple other uncles. I just didn't know them as well, so I can't speak on behalf of them. But like most of most of that generation were all Vietnam um, and Korean. Uh, I think I, it's one of the uh, the great grandfather, whatever it was, was World War II. He it obviously died when I was really young and never got to hear his story firsthand. Then, of course, my bo- both my parents um, were were Navy. Um, my sis, my older sister, uh, you know, a lot of my older siblings um, were military as well, Air Force, Navy. Uh, so I, I come from a big hit, a big background of of military. Pretty anybody in my family, there's one like either a sister and her husband or one uh, grandfather and his wife or one uncle and so on. And somebody served or somebody still is serving um, myself and three others are active duty um, for, for the military currently in our family. And I, I imagine that's just like, yeah. So, so nine 11 was um, I, I remember it very distinctly. I, I was young in comparison to a lot of others, certainly. Um, but I do remember it very distinctly. And I, I, I'd like to think I have a decent enough memory. I was again talking to Bo about this this morning. Uh, he's like, yeah, I have a great memory. Like he asked me what was the first conversation he and I had as friends and he remembered it. He knew exactly what it was. And he was like, yeah, we said this. And then you said this, we were at this place and this is what happened. I was like, dude, like that's a crate. And he's like, yeah, I have a, I have, he, he called it a stupid memory because he's like, I can remember the smallest details about the most minute and unimportant things. But when it comes to like an advancement exam, I'm blank. I can't remember a single thing. <laughs> and I'm like, I got you there. I get it. Like everybody's yeah. memory's a little, yeah, everybody's memory's a little different, but I, for my childhood, I do remember, I remember, you know, all the way back prior to even being a toddler. Like I have a pretty good memory of, of where we lived. And I remember dogs that we had. I remember my mother being pregnant with my little brother, my little sisters. Uh, I remember all of these things uh, very, very clearly. And 9-11, I remember um, my dad would always cook breakfast for us. And we were on the West Coast when it happened. So obviously it's a little later um, uh, in on the East Coast than, than it was on the uh, West Coast. So we were just getting up and my dad always making breakfast for us every morning for as long as I was in, since I was a child, he would always make breakfast, you know, nothing crazy, but he was always there early in the morning, early riser like I am now. And that morning specifically, I come down, I'm ready to eat. And he's just arms crossed in the middle of the living room, staring at the TV, just like muttering basically under his breath. And, and so I look at the TV and I see it's like the news and I see that there's some smoke and like a building. And again, being like seven or eight, uh, not like fully, like just waking up, not fully grasping. I was like, what's going on? What's going on? And he's just muttering and like, like, Oh my God, these, you know, sons of bitches, what's going on? Like, and it was at that time as well, like within the next 30 to 45 minutes between when I was normally going to be eating. So I, I got like a bowl of cereal or whatever. So the normal time over I'm eating to where I'm leaving to go get on the bus to go to school, the second tower gets hit. And, and then I'm and the, so to see him like in a state of shock and actual panic and like, like what is happening? What is going on? Uh, I remember that very distinctly. And then we, uh, you know, I went to school and the same thing. We didn't have school. We just, they gave us coloring books and they were just watching the news. So again, me being like very, again, not to jerk my own dick off here or anything, but like I, <laughs> to, <laughs> to be, to be a little more cognizant and like not as interested in coloring books, like knowing that something's going on. Like I see my peers and they're just like, yeah, it's crazy, but it isn't awesome. We just get to color today. And right. I'm sitting there like, no, what's actually going on here? And so I'm sitting there with the teacher, like, 
you know, and she's trying to explain like, well, I think we think it's terrorism. That's what they're saying. And I was like, okay, so terrorism means what and where and who and how and all of this. So like, I was very interested in what was happening. And yeah, so that went on, you know, and, you know, history, you know, the rest is history, as they say. And it didn't really have an effect on joining the military. I, joining the military was always like a... um an option that I thought was a smart one. And obviously my parents were like, this is, this is what we did. This is why we did what we did. We want you to, you know, do what makes you happy, but obviously like you have to earn money to make it in the world. So like, this is how we did it. And this is what we would recommend that you do. And, you know, go to school. Like we didn't do, we didn't, my parents didn't go to college and they're like, you got, you got to go to college. Like, this is important. You got to do these things. And military again was just in my eyes was sort of like an option that I always knew I had. So I had, I didn't join right out of high school. Um, I didn't have that big push to like, you know, serve my country. Fuck yeah. Type of deal. Um, it was more of like, let me, let me see what the world has to offer. And so I did for a couple of years, um, after, after high school. And then I went to college for a little while and did all of that. And, um, it just became like, uh, again, that option where I was like, no, this is probably the better of the options of what I'm doing and where I want to go and all that stuff. So that was really what, what happened. 9-11 was impactful, but not in joining the military by any means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting because um, so my grandpa was in the Navy. Uh, he fought in the Korean War. And, um, you know, I was uh, I was always a, a super pacifist. I really... Um, I really appreciated the, you know, the sort of, um, uh, you know, civil disobedience. I loved Henry David Thoreau and, um, mm. Gandhi and, and, and Buddhism and all that stuff. And, um, for me, when nine 11 happened, it was like, um, I actually started, a, an online chat, um, discussion with my friends on like, um, you know, can we can we take a breather instead of reacting to this and assuming it's mm. terrorism? Can we can we um, or or assuming it was Osama bin Laden? Like I remember, like almost immediately, um, you know, all, all all things were pointing to him even before we had um, collected a lot of um, truth. And mm. I was like, you know, whatever happened to you know uh, innocent until proven guilty? Like, why don't we have like a court? And, and, you know, like I, and mm-hmm. just was trying to, um, be, even though I was knee deep in the middle of New York city and, um, all I wanted to do was find my friend Angelica in Brooklyn and, you know, and then seeing the towers, um, you know, and just experiencing that firsthand, everyone around me was in panic and hate mode. Mm-hmm. And I was, um, just like, I would much rather us discuss and can we, can we figure out what's happening and what's going on before we just assume and start bombing. And um, it's really interesting that we're having this conversation. So we're recording this on August 21st, right after um, the shit has hit the fan in um, Kabul um, in Afghanistan and pulling out the troops. And I listened to a really interesting um, cause I'm a, I'm a nerd and I listen to NPR, uh, weekend edition <laughs> and they had, um, uh, they had a Gen Xer on who, um, was in third grade when she got, um, pulled out of Vietnam and, um, and she hearkened to how, um, 
you know, when that happened, when everyone was pulled out of Vietnam, I'm kind of jumping around here, but I I do have a point here that'll streamline it all (laughs) in a second. So bear with me in my ADHD. Um, But, you know, she was saying how like when we left Vietnam um, as Americans, like um, everyone was saying how they couldn't believe how quickly the communists um, took over um, Saigon. And she's like, uh, and and she's literally hearing the same thing um, with Kabul and, um, you know, I guess I guess the question I'm 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 wondering is, um, you know, from your, um, you know, because you are from a different generation, so and 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 obviously um, from a different, you know, family background, um, but you're also you also seem like a kindred spirit to me. Did you ever wonder? Um, and you talked about being overseas. Did you ever wonder why we went to Afghanistan? specifically and what are your thoughts of being of of pulling out so quickly do you think that we should be there forever and 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 do you do you know anything about vietnam having so many viet vets around you to know about that sort of history um mm. do you think do you think there's similarities do you think i don't know i guess is that's the questions <laughs> <laughs> No, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, like, take your pick. I'm, I'm, I always give you like three things to work on, but uh, you're, you do great. <laughs> it's a, it's a discussion. It's a discussion, Trish. I'm here for discussion. Exactly, exactly. That's why I'm glad you're here. No. Um. So, so my thoughts on the situation, um, is is no. I don't think we should be there forever. Uh, did I think about it and why we're there? Absolutely. And I was pretty. I was pretty vocal about my disdain for the situation when I was back in college. Um, and this, you know, this was 10 years, 10 years prior now. And, you know, it was just as fucked up then. And it was, and I remember thinking when we first started bombing and again, me being me, I didn't have a side to pick yet. Like I, I remember my, my parents were very like pro, yeah, we need to go over to Iraq, you know, and we need to like get justice. We need to stop these people, that type of deal. And then I, and I, but I also had family members who were anti and they're like, no, like this is going to lead us into another Vietnam or this is going to lead us into another Korea or this is going to, you know, another bullshit. Right. And me being me, I was just like, well, I don't quite know yet. So I'm not going to like, I can't say that I am convinced or like, I believe anybody because I've seen both of you guys be wrong before. So I'm just, I'm, I don't know. I'm curious and I'm, I don't know yet. And, and then after I started to make form those opinions of like, no, this has been a, this has been a clusterfuck. I don't, I don't understand why we're here. And then I start getting pictures of like, oh, I get it. Like it's about resources. It's about money. It's about power. It's about these things. Um, yeah, it, be, it became more and more clear that, and and this isn't to say like, and I hate it when people like oversimplify things into like, well, it's the U.S. military's fault because to to wrap in my specific perspective of being active duty and what military life is like, what I can say about pulling out the way we have in this latest incident is that I agree on a personal level that, yeah, we shouldn't be there still. We shouldn't have been there for the last 20 years. In my personal opinion is we never should have been there. It wasn't Iraq. It's not the same as Iraq. (laughs) Right. Just all of it. Well, all of it. Even Iraq, I don't believe that we should have been there. Yeah. But just just saying like everyone was so like, go bomb Iraq, you know, and uh, Desert Storm part two kind of thing. And 
but it was yeah. like a completely different country. I don't know how many people realize that that it, Iraq and Afghanistan yeah. are not the same country. <laughs> yeah, not not many, not many probably <laughs> to be honest with you. Right. Um, um, so so that that personal aspect aside, my understanding of how this how it actually works and how things actually get done in the military, uh, I sympathize with the situation because. Uh, you know, people will judge, be like, well, you know, why did we leave so suddenly? Why didn't we give anybody any warning? Why didn't we do this? Why didn't we do that? Why, you know, I'm like, because nobody ever knows anything is going on. We only know what our superior tells us. And if our top, top superior, you know, say what you will about current commander in chief, you know, uh, I'm not a fan, just as I wasn't a fan of the previous one and the previous one before that and so on and so forth. Uh, they, in most oftentimes don't know. So if my understanding of our leadership is that the one at the top and the one closest to the top and that whole, you know, congregation of assholes have no idea what they're doing, then I don't expect anybody amongst my, you know, my peers and myself to also know what we're doing so that we basically make it up as we go, do the best we can with what we have. And so I I understand that the order came down on the day it came down is like, we are leaving today. Get your shit, get your, you know, get to your position. We are leaving. That's it. And I know what it looks like when those types of orders come down. And so when, when that happens, it, it is sort of like a, a panic. It is sort of like a, all right, hurry up. It is. A, and in the military, we're always in that like mindset of hurry up and wait and hurry up and plan. And like, I talked about this, uh, I recorded an episode with Bo last night, so that'll be coming out later on. And we specifically talk about, um, our perspective and like our personal opinions just briefly on the situation. And it comes down to like personal opinion is we never should have been there, but guess what? We were there. And because we were there, I'm glad that it's finally ending. It should have ended a long time ago. I'm tired of losing friends to it and, um, and making more, you know, more conflict and more issues happen overseas because with all of the indiscriminate, you know, bombing that we've done, drone striking that we've done, you know, and carelessness that happens in conflicts like these, we end up producing more radicals. We end up producing a more, you know, a, a larger disdain and animosity for the U.S. And in my personal opinion, like we could be doing much more humanitarian efforts and much better efforts in a much better way in other parts of the world or maybe in the Middle East than having a conflict of boots on the ground, wasting the trillions of dollars that we have wasted and so on and so forth. So I support the fact that it's ending, but just like all of the things that are complicated and arise from conflicts like this. Another reason why I say let's not get in, let's not be in a rush to get into another one because these are the collateral damages of it is people suffer, people die, and there is never a good or pretty way to do it, you know? And I like that's the most respectful way I can say it um, is that I have disagreed with the whole process. And now that it's finally coming to an end, I can just say, I hope, I'm, I'm glad that it is coming to an end. And it is shitty that we did what we have done added to the instability and furthered the um, suffering of others in other parts of the world. I hope that this is a further eye-opening and awakening for the general population to say enough is enough for these types of things. Like we don't, like this is what's going to happen. Like I, I say that, but I also don't have a lot of faith in that because like you, you're equating it to like Vietnam. I would assume that those that saw, watched Vietnam happen would have been more vocal against the Iraq, Iraqi conflict. But here we are, you know, 20 years later. So again, I hope that that's the case and I hope we can learn from this and I hope we can prevent ourselves and 
you know, our future generations from doing this, but I doubt that that's probably going to happen on a cynical note. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because I was a part of, um, the whole anti-war, um, movement that was happening in the U S in the early two thousands. I was in a punk band and we, we sang songs about, um, you know, the war and, and, and how pointless it was. And, um, you know, no, no blood for oil and, and all kinds of slogans. And, um, you know, I was in central Illinois at the time and I felt very alone because I was usually one of, you know, um, five people protesting and like, um, but I'm curious for, for your generation, um, do you, and, and I, I know I'm kind of pigeonholing, holding you here because as you said, you don't really, um, super connect with, with your millennial tag. Um, <laughs> but, uh, do you think that the, um, the idea of military and pro or anti, do you think that has changed since, um, maybe nine 11 or even in the last 20 years, um, in, in general, um, or do you think that there is, because of this sort of shift in um, how people talk and, you know, being pro-militia and, you know, being against the government. So we better be, we better be armed to the gills in case they come and, and knock on our doors and take away our guns. Um, what, what do you think the, the sort of the feeling of, of military is, um, at least in your, in your circle of friends? Mm-hmm. So um, I, I want to, I just want to specify first, are we talking about like, what is like the mentality in the States about the military? Yeah. Or, you know, just because I know in, in, in my, in my generation, it's pretty split between anti-war sentiments and, and pro-war sentiments, anti-military and pro-military. Um, and, and, and it's funny cause I'm not, I'm not anti-military because um, some of my best friends have been in the military, you know, my family and and things like that. But I also think we don't give a fuck about people when they come back from war. So I have Hmm. a big issue with, you know, how we view the military and and what is it actually used for? um, And, Hmm. and, and do we, I don't know. I I'm kind of all over the place with this question, but, um, that's, that's a as, discussion. Per, as per, right. <laughs> as per Jenix voice. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I guess, so uh, I guess, I, I guess I'll be all over the place then in the response. How about that, Trish? Uh, that works perfect. Perfectly. I, uh, and I heard you open up a fresh beer. So, you know, did, let's get it on. Let's do it. <laughs> um, I, um, I'll give personal experiences and personal anecdotes. Uh, so relating it to like Vietnam, my grandfather, who I have talked to extensively about it, and he's like my biggest tie to, um, that generation in that time frame. Um, he, he described it and, um, and has been very anti-military when I was a kid growing up and everything. He was always like, don't join the military. Um, that's, that's going to be somebody else. You're going to be doing somebody else's bidding basically. And that was, and that's from his experience in the, in Vietnam being drafted, not having a choice. He didn't get to enlist. He was drafted. He said, this is where we're going. So I understand that and that perspective. Um, but he tells a very, a very, um, 
um, gosh, how do you frame? He, he tells a very specific story, sort of one-sided. Uh, well, what I, uh, the story goes, the story is, and this isn't like unheard of, and it's not. This is his actual testimony on it, and I'm not saying that it's not true or anything. What I'm saying is that um, he tells a very unfortunate story, and it goes to it's relating to like your sentiment uh, or your um, your statement previously of like we don't really we we're not really treating those that um, are fighting in these conflicts these wars um, when they come back like we're not giving a shit about them when they come back in a lot of ways and in his in the Vietnam War excuse me there was a um, there was there was that big anti war sentiment right justfully so you know rightfully so uh, yeah um, he he tells the story of when he got back right when he when he finally got back to country safe and sound lucky to be alive type of feeling like thank god i'm home uh he got off the bus and there was there were um protesters and and rioters around the the bus station where he was getting off at and uh he was he was spat on when he when he departed when he de- you know uh, departed the the bus and he told that story and always remembered that story of like these are who i, I was fighting for this country specifically to ensure in his eyes again like let's throw the politics out the window just as a personal anecdote here of like what he thought and what others like him thought when their draft is like you have to go to protect the country you got to go and free these other oppressed uh, individuals from the communists and all of this stuff right like you feed you're fed those pro- that propaganda and so when you come back as a 22 year old kid and you know you're that's what you've just lived for the last two years of your life or four years of your life and you're happy that in your eyes like you're back alive and you did something good with that time that you were over there the atrocities that you've seen etc and you come back to a very ungrateful or very um, disdained population again i'm not saying that that's not justified because of the fucked up conflict that the vietnam was uh, Vietnam War was, but it was definitely uh, different than the the homecoming for World War One and World War Two vets. So mm-hmm. that was a time, and even Korea that that we we're entering into, um, you know, a, a a cultural shift that occurred in in the seventies, where it was like, um, you know more people had more information or whatever it was, there wasn't this unification that like, you know, um, Ruby the Riveter or whatever her name is like, you know, we're, yes, we can do this. And, and, and we, you know, we love the troops, tie the yellow ribbon around the tree. Like it was, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, there, they were being spat on. They were, there were protests, people were burning their draft cards. Like it was such a different feeling, um, to come back, I, I have so much compassion for that because, again, they didn't have a choice, and mm. and if and if they're from a long line of military people, that's not at all how it was when their parents came back from the military sure. from the wars. And and to get at the sentiment, I guess, of like how we're treating how we're treating um, our fellow man, like military aside, just our fellow man in general, right? Um, we have these lines of division of like us and them type of. ideas, I guess. And one thing that I have noticed, obviously it's using my grandfather's story um, in comparison, right? It's like, obviously we're not getting spat on when you return from from, um, this this latest conflict, the Iraqi conflict. But in a way, it is a a smack to the face when the VA refuses um, 
care for, you know, like burn pits and things that were mandatory. And that's, again, we were follow, we had to follow these orders. Like you get an order to take the trash and you burn it in the diesel. And when you're, you know, a lowly E2, that's what you're doing. That's, that's who gets shit detail are the lower. And so like, you're these young kids, a lot of young kids who are exposed to all of these things that nobody, A, was giving a shit about during, right? So it's like, We've had this mentality. I mean, with Vietnam, like we we weren't giving a shit about drafting all these kids to go fight for this stupid cause. You know, I mean, say what people might say what they will about that statement, but like a, a cause that, like I said, I would have disagreed with at the time as well. Um, we didn't give a shit about them at the time. We were they were expendable, and it's seeming like that's a mentality that certainly hasn't changed. Is that if you're in the military, you are expendable to some extent to some extent, like you are cannon fodder when it comes down to it. And, and then to come back and then not be provided, you know, what you were claimed to be entitled to, you know, like medical care or almost like they didn't expect you all to come back. So we didn't really create a system to help you when you came back. The lack of planning. Yeah. Just like we're getting out now, it shows the lack of planning. Like I said, when, you know, when I, when I sympathize with the situation of us leaving Afghanistan, Afghanistan now, and people are like, well, why don't we do this? And why do we have a plan? And it's like, we never do. We don't, it doesn't seem like we ever have a plan. And that's <laughs> right. something that maybe people should be paying attention to mm-hmm. now moving forward so that the next time somebody comes up to, you know, the fucking Congress is like, we got to go to war or we got to go to this place to do this. One of the first questions in my eyes that should be is not a fucking crayon drawing, you know, PowerPoint bullshit that they fucking <laughs> said, oh, well, they this is a this is a not yellow funny, circle around. It is. It is. What else yeah. can you do but laugh at the stupidity that is yeah. and the lunacy that is w- how this whole thing works? Because it is. That's exactly what happened. We think there's w- MWDs in this location. I've drawn it in a circle with a yellow crayon and that's where it is right there. So let's approve a budget of billions and trillions of dollars to go do that and let's expend and waste all of this all of this all of these lives and all mm-hmm. of you know all of the lives that will be impacted from children that are born from this conflict you know from all of the troops returning home with PTSD or troops returning home with one leg or multiple limbs missing and so on and so forth homelessness etc all of these all of these ripple effects that are happening that's the question i want actually presented the next time the the you know, the narrative is spun is like, well, this is our next enemy, whether it's Russia or China or whoever it's going to be in the next 20 years. That's the question I want is like, well, what is what is the actual reasoning? What is the actual plan? And I want significant proof. You got to sell me on it. I'm not going to sign up for Patreon for a fucking podcast. I'm not going to (laughs) be signing up for a trillion dollar fucking, you know, conflict in another country again. Like you got to sell me on this is what I'm saying. So it's always lack of planning. Do you think the the money that we um, are trying to spend on, um, I mean, this is, this is out there, but yeah, you know, um, that's how my brain works. Um, good, good. Yeah. Do you you think the, 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 the reason, one of the reasons that we're, that Biden finally decided to pull out, um, was because of the, the trillion dollar spending that he is trying to do with infrastructure and taking care of our country now? Uh, yes, but I don't think it's because we didn't have it. Like we're, we're fine to print money and Mm -hmm. we're fine to, we're fine in finding excuses to spend money. That's never Mm -hmm. been an issue for us. What I think it is, is, um, you know, uh, narrative and like how you spend things. So it's like, oh, well I will stop 
doing this thing that you guys are no that's no longer popular to spend money on. Like when 9/11 happened, it was very popular to spend money to go overseas and go to conflict, right? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of companies, you know, like, you know, made a lot of money supplying the weapons, supplying the bombs, right. supplying, you know, um, the the rebuilding and the quote-unquote democratization of Iraq and Afghanistan, the Middle East in general, right? Like all of those companies made a lot of money. And after, you know, the general public was savvy to that and it became unpopular, I do think that now it's just the latest spin to say, well, what's, excuse me, what's the newest popular thing? And I would say infrastructure and like school and like healthcare, like those are big topics that the population is like, no, we need to fix this shit right now. And because of that, he's like, okay, well, let's let's then divert it. Like we're spending trillions here. Let's divert it to the more popular thing. Let's divert it over here. And so we can keep siphoning off the top as we mm-hmm. always do type of deal. So what are your thoughts on um, how do we how do we keep the military going, the industrial mili- mi- militarized complex? Um, I probably said that wrong, but um, mm. how how if we aren't uh, if we don't have troops in other countries, like what do we do with that? that industry that is creating bombs and tanks and all the, you know, all the money that they make for that. How, how does that affect that? Um, you know, to play devil's advocate, please, <laughs> oh, um, what the fuck Trish. are they going to do now? What the fuck? Well, <laughs> do you, do you want, do you want my, um, like utilitarian answer or do you want my realistic answer? Yes. So my realistic answer is we'll, we'll probably, um, crash another plane or take down another building and we'll have, we'll find a new excuse to, to go to war with somebody. That's the realistic answer. As shitty as that may sound, that is the reality that we live in is that those in power, um, will create some reason to keep the, the, the industrial military complex going. Yes, yes, yes. That is a hundred percent my gut feeling will happen. There's always mm-hmm. going to be an excuse to keep a military, have a military and go to war with somebody for as long as we can, uh, you know, not, not nuke everybody and destroy everything, but keep enough conflict and keep enough people angry to where we can keep making money and keep, you know, ourselves, those in power is what I'm speaking to, uh, in power. So my utilitarian answer or like my hopeful answer is that we can, like I said, divert a lot of these resources that we have into humanitarian efforts and more. Mm -hmm. For example, we have ships that, you know, have the same, have the same power source that they've had for 50 years and they have the ability to go for hundreds of years, you know, so they're a self-sustaining city that is bonkers, right? That you can do that and have that. And uh, if we can funnel these great industries and great ideas and this and this already we have this huge budget we have this huge resource if we if we trim the fat and found the ways that we could use it and funnel it into an actual plan that we all had together of you know like Haiti just had a fucking earthquake right you know right. we're probably we're going to be responding to that most likely or at least in some fa- hopefully we do in some fashion we do but mm-hmm. um you know like the comfort you know or or you know they we we often have these these uh, humanitarian ships and these humanitarian efforts, and I think that is what we should be pouring things into. And if we had like a humanitarian effort to come together for like a space race, you know, and like expansion of 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 resource acclimation throughout maybe just our solar system and you know and and um, 
a better utilization for technology when it comes to, you know, like renewable energies and things so that, cause like one thing the military, I will say does well is when we get an order to do something, we, we have this mentality of like, it has to get done. Like there is, there's just like, there isn't another option. We just don't see another option. So when we get the orders like, Hey, tomorrow or next week, you need to give us exactly the exact plan of how you're going to convert the entire military into renewable energies. I promise you by, by 1600 today, we will have that plan written out. And by 1600 <laughs> tomorrow, we will be fully solar, fully wind, fully nuke, like everything will be converted. And so by the end of next week, we're all going to have a half day because, you know, uh, CO says good job and we all got the rest of the day off. That's what I truly believe could happen if we took again and focused all of these things and resources and people and manpower together. Because we have a massive amount of people. We have a massive amount of money. We have a massive amount of resources and infrastructure and technology. technology that we, yeah. Tech, but we we piss it away and we fuck around mm-hmm. with it and you know, and they waste a lot of the money, you know, and then they charge unbelievable amounts of things for it. Uh, and so, yeah, there are a lot of that waste and a lot of that extra spending and shit is, is part of the issue. You know, we have politicians who can do four years and get a 400 K for life pension. <sighs> Meanwhile, the rest of us have to do a minimum of 20 and at mm-hmm. best we'll get 40 K. So right, right. those types of things we could, we could definitely rearrange and fix. I, I do believe mm-hmm. and have a much better outcome in the long run. Man, I, I swear I could talk to you for like, uh, another hour for sure. But <laughs> I want to kind of wrap this up a little bit before we go into our rapid fire questions. And that is, um, yeah. do you think that the military could um, play a part in the disasters? Uh, you kind of, you mentioned Haiti, but I mean, we're looking at, um, you know, Hurricane Henri. <laughs> That's how they pronounced it on NPR today. And I was like, hey, très bien. Because, you know, I was a French teacher. So I was like, hey, uh, that sounds nice. Um, mm. It's about to, you know, really pulverize uh, the northern East Coast. And, um, you know, we're seeing um, parts of Greenland and um, even in, even the glaciers that we have um, up around Alaska and stuff, um, you know, melting at uh, even higher levels, you know, the scientists recently came out with like, it's a code red on the environment and the environmental damage that's going to ensue. Um, And they, you know, they, the famous map of Florida um, being just like a tiny little leg coming down off of the United (laughs) States rather rather than that huge, um, you know, even down to Miami being submerged. Do you think the military could play a big part in, um, evacuating those kind of places to live on these little, not little, um, these, these, uh, self-sustaining ships and things. Um, do you think that we would do better to, um, really focus on our country rather than saving everyone else? Or do you think we need to do a little of both? Or do you even believe that's something that's going to happen? I don't believe it's something's going to happen. I'll say that. <laughs> uh, unfortunate as that may sound, I am a cynic in a lot of ways in that I've seen, I've just seen too many things in my life now to not be a realist. And realistically, I just have very little faith in humanity. I want to have huma- faith in humanity. I have faith in some humans, but I say I'm an alien because I just don't understand how we can't figure this shit out. But right. realistic, that, <laughs> that aside, that aside um, do I think that we need to figure out our own shit as a country? Absolutely. 
Uh, do I think that we shouldn't help other countries? No, I do think everybody needs to be helping everybody. If you have the means, I, I can't remember who said it, but it's, if you have the, you know, if you have the means to give $1 to someone or to buy a coffee for someone, then you have the obligation to do that. And if you have no money, you have no means to help anyone, then you have the obligation to help yourself. You have the obligation to smile. You have the obligation, like no matter what it is that you can do, you should be doing it. And us as a country can be doing a lot in the world. And instead, we're, we're allowing these, you know, we're allowing these elected officials to run it for us. And that's what I find to be the, the biggest travesty that I've grown aware of more and more as I, as I age is that I don't understand how people can just give control away to other people. I, I'm a control freak. I edit everything. I'm an OCD with the podcast. I'm, you know, I, I am OCD with my art. Like, I just don't understand how anybody can just say that they, they're going to sit back and allow big daddy to handle their shit for them. Like, I didn't like that when I was a kid, you know, I disagree with my parents as they can attest to. We had some fights growing up and that was because like, I have some thoughts and I have some feelings and I, again, don't understand how anybody else can't have those things. So when your fellow man, you know, is out there in need, if you have the means to help, then I do, I find it morally obligate. Uh, you, you are morally obligated to provide the help that you can provide. That's just, that's just me. So you don't believe in the, um, bootstraps, you know, lift yourself up by your bootstraps theory. And, um, and, yeah, and I do. so this is what keeps you from being a hundred percent libertarian, libertarian. <laughs> Cause I know that you've talked a little bit about that on your podcast because, um, I believe either both or one of your co-hosts is uh, super libertarian, and yeah, that's and, and I, for you. <laughs> and that's and that's the the thing that um, you know whenever someone says, "Oh, you're you're obviously a libertarian," then you know I always I always like the argument, um, no, because if someone needs help, I'm going to help them, and and I Absolutely. think I think that that's I think that's a healthy progression of humanity to to go. I don't. Um, we've never been a country that's like, fuck them, let them figure it out themselves. I mean, mm. the, the great depression taught us that we need to rally together and we need to, you know, that's how we created the, you know, the, the awesome interstates that we road trip on in this great country. And, you know, yeah, exactly. um, you know, I had food st- stamps growing up as a kid or whatever they call that now welfare. And, um, you know, I, I was able to, um, I was able to do a lot of things, because someone helped me. And so I'm no longer living in poverty. And but I still I still know what that feels like. And I still think it's important. So thanks for sharing that. It's always a pleasure to have um, conversations with you, Hermes. Like I said, I feel like we're kindred spirits. And uh, I, I can't wait for the day when maybe someday, somewhere, somehow, I can hang out with you and your beautiful Khaleesi um, <laughs> to, uh, you know, have a beer and a chat someday. But until that day comes, my friend, it is time for the rapid fire questions. Are you right. ready? I am ready. I, I hope you're ready for my answers. Oh, I'm, I'm so I'm so like curious as to how you're going to answer these. But uh, just a reminder, because it has been a while since we've had the podcast going, um, these are uh, five short questions um, that, you know, just answering as quickly as possible. With the last one, you're allowed to expand on a little bit more. But um, the first one being, what's your favorite memory from childhood? 
All right. So I see a lot of favorites in a lot of these questions that you sent me. And I <laughs> am such a stickler that I can never pick a favorite anything. I can't. I can't. I just can't. So uh, favorite, uh, I will just preface all of these questions with favorite anything is difficult and just not a thing for me personally. So awesome. I will list a couple of things like winning Art contests when I was younger, you know, when I was in grade school, that was fun. That was great. I loved, you know, I loved seeing that, hey, I'm getting better at things. You know, like when I was in martial arts, getting new belts and medals, you know, when I was in track or wrestling or karate um, to get the recognition like, hey, I put in a lot of work and it's recognized and hey, I'm actually not too bad. Proud moments, you know, my parents saying, hey, I'm proud of you for this. Uh, the first crush I had and the first kiss I had, those are always those stick out. The first film I saw in theaters gave me my love of cinema. So all of those are favorites. I have favorite moments, but I can't say I have a favorite thing. Awesome. I wouldn't expect anything less from you, my friend. (laughs) Um, And this is something I love to ask people who are not of the Gen X um, zeitgeist, but do you have a favorite 80s band or musician? And if so, who? Also, list, uh, I'd say (laughs) my love of hip hop came from like NWA and like Run DMC of those uh, of that uh, time frame. Nice. But also my my classic rock, you know, like I love Prince, I love Van Halen, you know, Prince being more like Pop Rush, um, ACDC, all of of those in that era were, yeah, big, big, big uh, influences into my music genre and my very varied, very wide, varied, um, playlist that you would find on my awesome that that sounds very gen x of you sir because as gen xers we love various different kinds of music because the radio was such a big part of our life and so was mtv um what about uh 80s movies notice how i kind of took off the fave (laughs) there you go 80s movies um rain man back to the future being fucking amazing Uh, full metal jacket um platoon to stick to military things, um, <laughs> sci-fi Blade Runner. I love Blade Runner so much. I even the remake I loved because I love Blade Runner so much. Uh, the Fly. I love body horror and John Carpenter's work. Like the oh, thing. I love. I love so his great. work. So great. So yeah, Dead Poet Societies. Because I'm oh, an artist. Oh, one know. of my favorite movies right. of all time. How that's you not. That's yeah. how I modeled my teaching. I, my first day of class, I would I would walk out of the classroom. Yeah. How can you not? I love doing that. Robin um, Williams, like killer cast, killer oh, cast on that one. Absolutely, absolutely. Very impressive, sir. Um, so why did you go to college? Uh, I went to college because that's what I thought was the thing to do. I was um, at a very young age. My parents were like – so my dad made a, de- a very decent living. Um, he was a very smart guy. He was a software engineer and that's where he made most of his money. And so it, we weren't uh, – we weren't uh, – we were we were well off growing up and but he emphasized and so did my mother being military and retiring from the military we're like you know um yeah you can you can make it in the world but don't make it harder on yourself in the world by not going to school and not paying attention to school and all that stuff so they really pressed that hey you should go to college like this is something you, you should do and so i graduated early like 2 years early from high school and went straight into college and um had had you know i was big into athletics and stuff so i went to college for that or went to school for that or did that while i was in college and stuff and i had there were parts of college that i enjoy and obviously when my parents saw me graduate like they were really proud of that um but I, i'm just not a i don't know i I've, I've found and grown um used to uh, publicly saying that I just don't really like a classroom. 
I love to learn. But one thing about school that I didn't enjoy was like rehashing things I already knew just for the sake, you know, like, oh, well, this is part of the, you know, curriculum. So you have to do the, the requirements excuse me, requirements. And I was like, yeah, well, fuck that. I, I'm already, I was titrating, you know, DXM out of Robitussin when I was like 11. I don't need to sit here. I don't need to sit here in chemistry class and learn about hydrochloric acid. I just don't. Okay, guys. So can we skip all of this or not? And not being able to do that was frustrating as fuck. And, and so finally, um, Hermes, if you had if, if you could talk to any generation, older, younger, or even those within your generation, what advice would you give either to get through the dark days or just life advice in general? That's a big one. So I, it was the one question I didn't answer when I was looking at this because I, I wanted it to be like on the spot because that's a, that's a tough question. Trish. Um, and <laughs> You're I, welcome. And I, I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm not a big advice guy. So I, the first advice is don't listen to me because I'm, I'm one of those, I don't know who said it. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those that is like, I'm not an advocate for drug use and masochism or violence. Um, but they've, they've always worked for me. So because I've said, you know, saying that I'm like, don't listen to me. All right. I'm the worst person to ask advice for all I, things that have helped me. I will say though, that hopefully help others is like artwork, creativity, expression, being honest about those things and doing them to the best of your ability. Um, and having the foundations of like, you know, like love and kindness and creativity and intelligence and, and, you know, having those things as like a foundation, a basis, have have done me well again like i am the last person you should ask for advice but if anybody wanted to take anything i would say just i would say do those things if nothing else like try to live your life and hold kindness love uh compassion creativity intelligence those things in above all else and who you meet and how you hold yourself you know just do it to the best of your ability but uh yeah that's i i don't have an answer for that one i'm sorry trish i wish i did I feel like that was a pretty good answer, Hermes. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> All right, brother. Well, thank you so much for coming to um, hang out with us today on the Gen X Voice podcast. It was such a pleasure to get you uh, here and talk to you for a while. It's a blast. It was a blast, Trish. I, I knew it would be. I was looking forward to this, and I really appreciate you having me on. This was a, this is a good one. Anytime, we'll swap again for shows. Like anytime, we just want to talk. Thanks for listening, and if you think this is worth listening to, please subscribe, share, and leave a review. Be kind to each other, listen to each other, and let's stop being separated by our differences. I don't